When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. First Monday of the month, which is obviously Request Monday here at the Metal Metal Exchange. And uh, we are doing Tesla's The Great Radio Controversy from 1989. But before we get there, Chris, my friend, how are you doing? I I love that Freudian slip, The Metal Exchange. Yeah. Too strange. We are. We are. And and I'm going to put out a caveat at at the beginning. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. I do not feel well. I am, but, uh, you know, as they say, the show must go on, and that's what we are doing. We want to bring this to you on Monday, so we are recording this the day before, uh, and I will just plug along, and then I'll probably go take a nap. But before we get there, uh, what have you listened to this week? Because it was, oh boy. It was quite the week. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, I mean, for months I've been looking forward to this past Friday because of two albums in particular, Beast and Black, um, releasing their newest album. Um, why am I forgetting the name? Oh, uh, Dark Connection, as well as Ad Infinitum, uh, releasing their second album, Chapter 2 Legacy. And um, their last albums, each band, were um, Ad Infinitum's debut album was one of my favorites of last year. Uh, Beast in Black's album was, I think, in my top three from the year before. Uh, so I was very excited to hear both of these albums. I've only gotten a chance to listen to each of them once, but I enjoyed them both quite a bit, and I look forward to diving back into those. But um, as if that wasn't enough, one of my favorite bands ever, Power Quest, dropped a brand new single on us, which um, I- I've been seeing quite a bit of high praise for a lot of people are saying it reminds them of kind of the earlier days of power quest. And I spoke to their lead vocalist at uh, Ashley Edison. And he said that that's kind of what he was going for when he was co-writing the song with um, guitarist uh, Glenn and, and, uh, and keyboardist and band leader, Steve. Um, so uh, both last name Williams, by the way, no relation. Um that song was fan- fantastic. So, um, and then, and then on top of that, I mean, um, I, I, I can't remember if I mentioned that Majestica, another band I, I'm a big fan of, um, they are re-releasing their Christmas album from last year and they have added a new track to it called Glory of Christmas. I may have mentioned it last week. I don't remember if I did. Um, but uh, this is a brand new song that's being added to it, and I definitely think it is worth checking out. And um, if I may presume, I think you have a song about Christmas that you want to mention. Yeah. First of all, let me just comment on a couple of things that, that you just brought up because I think it's worthwhile. Uh, the Beast in Black 
was probably my most anticipated release of the year only because you had it in the last one, the top three, it was my album of the year. I just, I listened to that album more than anything else the year that it came out. The new one does not disappoint. I will not say that it is good as the last one, but at least for me, after one really good listen, uh, it's, it's solid and, and enjoyable and they're picking up where they left off. The Ad Infinitum, however, I actually thought was better than the last one, if that's possible. I was blown away by this disc. I was really impressed. Um, their future is exceptionally, exceptionally bright. Um, I would highly encourage people to check that out. And the Power Quest single, my God, I thought I was – I remember the first time I listened to Far Away, right as their debut album was coming out. And this harkened back to that era, that early Power Quest that sound that I absolutely loved. And I will not claim to be the fanboy that you are. They they, they are your band and, and your baby, but this single was great. And I just – I'm looking forward to hearing new material in that same vein. It's It's – quite quite the song but yeah there's there's a christmas song that came out that i was just simply uh blown away by and and the band that released this christmas song uh was not a band that i would have ever pegged to uh (laughs) write a christmas song and that's sabaton and let me just say something i have kind of drifted away from sabaton in recent years uh, I remember when the first time I saw them live, and we, we talked about this back in the archives, how much they just blew me away as a live act, and some of that early Sabaton music was just incredible. I just thought it was a little bit repetitive after a while, but they came out with a, a single called Christmas Truce. It may be my favorite Sabaton song ever. I only listened to it once. I will be playing this thing on repeat. Um, I was blown away. The video was great. The song was great, and it was almost like early Sabaton meets Sabotage. It was phenomenal, and just kudos to the band for releasing what I can only say is their their best song in, in a long time, if not ever. So kudos to them. But I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention two other things. First of all, Star One, Lost Children of the Universe. They came out with a new Star One single. Arjun, uh, obviously on the heels of the Ariane album from last year, uh, is, is back. There is a new Star One album coming out early next year. This new single featured not only Roy Khan but Tony Martin. And from what I understand, this particular single was actually recorded two different ways. They recorded this song with both vocalists. And for the single, because he didn't know which one to use, he kind of just spliced the vocals together to form this like super track, which is actually probably not on the album because it is kind of a special uh, release of this tune. But it is so good to hear these guys again. I, I am just a big fan of both of those albums, and it's good to hear that they're new, uh, new Star One music. Yeah, and um, the the people that have been announced as being uh, involved um, is exciting. I mean, um, you got Flora and Irene Jansen, who um, had appeared on uh, Star One's original album. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm kind of... Uh, shooting this off from memory, but like you said, um, Roy Khan's going to be on it, and um, I believe uh, Steve Vai does yes. a guitar solo on this track. I believe that's um, right. And and what's interesting about it is, you know, he always gets such a uh, unique and talented blend of musicians to work with him, but somehow he just puts it together in these songs that are just like flawless. And and this one is no exception. So I'll, I'll definitely post that during the week. And one other song that I, I I'd be remiss not to mention. The new Volbeat single is really good. Uh, I I kind of drifted away from them as well. I was a big fan of their first like album or two, and then 
they lost me a little bit, but their new single called Becoming is really, really catchy, uh, crunchy, heavy, uh, one of their heaviest songs in a long time and just really, really well done. So if, if you're a fan of uh, the old Volbeat, they're back. Uh, really, really, really good stuff. And actually, I'll, I'll take the time to mention one other thing just because I think it's worth mentioning. I stumbled upon a band called Venus Syndrome, and they came out with um, a release recently. And the closest thing I could describe it to is the second coming of Pagan's Mind. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, was never, I was never a huge Pagan's Mind fan, although there's I, I respect the talent, but I know a lot of the listeners are. This is the closest thing you are going to hear to Celestial Entrance, and that is, again, called Venus Syndrome. Uh, Cannibal Star, I believe, is the name of the album. Really good stuff, really uh, different, and, and harkens you back to about 10 or 15 years ago when Pagan's Mind was at the top of their game. I um, listened to this on your recommendation, and there were times where I thought I actually heard uh, Nils Rue singing, so um, I definitely picked up on that vibe as well. That was a, a really good recommendation, and man, there's actually a couple other things too. I mean, this was a really crazy week. Um, Dynasty also released um, another single kind of out of nowhere uh, called Advent. Um, you know, if you like Dynasty, I mean... Hey, this uh, doesn't sink, you know? It's... Yeah, exactly. Um, great, Another great tune. And uh, we I, we also both sent each other the same song, um, not realizing <laughs> it, uh, by a band, uh, I guess a newer band called Nocturna. Um, there was a music video, I guess, uh, for me, YouTube recommended it, and I sent it to you, and then you were like, uh, I sent this to you yesterday, and so um, I guess it should be worth mentioning, since we both thought to send it to each other. Uh, the song is called New Evil. It's from an album coming out next year called Daughters of the Night. Um, I thought it was a like really solid symphonic metal album with um, with uh, two female vocalists, so um, I thought that was really uh, pretty cool. So, um, and then Riverside came out with a, a new single. I don't know if you caught that. Um, I did. And it was a, another kind of return to form for bands that are just kind of, I don't know, going back to their roots, if you will. Riverside is another band that I loved their first album and even their second album. Uh, really great stuff. I was all over these guys. I think I was in law school at the time, uh, if memory serves me correctly. We were going back about 15 years. Uh, but in recent years, they kind of lost me a little bit. They had the death of one of their band members and ultimately uh, went in a little bit of a different direction. But the new Riverside single does not uh, doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't stink. And I'll be honest with you, kind of remembered reminded me of those first couple of albums. So kudos to them. And I mean, we're just kind of hit, hit firing on all cylinders with this stuff because there was just so much stuff that came out this week. Yeah, I believe um, I believe that the song is going to be on. Uh, like a 20 year retrospective. Is that what it is? Um, but I think this was a new track that they're going to be including, but I think that it's supposed to be like a, a greatest hits or something to that effect. Um, so that was, uh, that was interesting. And I just, one other band I want to mention that I know that we had differing opinions on was, um, this new band from the U S catalyst crime. Uh, their, their debut album came out last week and, um, I really enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I, I know that um, uh, Jonah from uh, Pyramids, the, the keyboardist, is, is involved. Um, I thought this was a very solid uh, debut album. I especially enjoyed. They did a track with um, with uh, uh, for uh, formerly of Amaranth, Jake. Um, and uh, it's called Cognitive Dissonance, and I thought this was a, such a great song and, and an album that I think was um, 
I, I thought it was quite good for for a uh, a debut album. Vocalist uh, Zoe Federoff, who's um, from the from the states, um, I thought she kind of uh, I got kind of um, live Christine vibes from her, which um, I, I think is is a compliment, especially if you're a big fan of eating pizza in Atlanta. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Story for another episode. Story yeah, but uh, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that because I enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, and I, I know Jonah has his hands in, in so many different bands, and so it's always good to see his name attached to something. But yeah, just a a glut of, of material to to follow through with um, this week. So I mean, God knows we probably even forgot to mention one or two. I know um, there was a couple of new. Music videos dropped this week. Um, Dragon Force dropped a music video, which I'll mention later on, and um, and uh, Dream Theater as well. So uh, just a lot going on. Yeah, for sure. And and I, I, I definitely agree that Zoe's vocals reminded me of Liv Kristen. Um, I, I'll say this. I um, had an album picked out for next week, and I'll talk about this more at the end when, we, when I reveal my choice for, for next week. But after hearing The Catalyst Crime, I actually almost – pivoted away from the album that I had selected and uh, almost went back to Theater of Tragedy because I don't even know if you're familiar with them so much. That was kind of the precursor to Leaves Eyes. And uh, uh, Leaf Theater of Tragedy came out with an album called Velvet Darkness They Fear, which is kind of considered their magnum opus. I cannot get into it and I want to give it another shot, but I'm not selecting it, but I thought about it just because of um, the Catalyst Crime disc. So I'll Leave that for another day. At some point, we have to do some uh, theater of tragedy. I think you might really appreciate that more more so than I will. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give that a shot. But let's get to the reason why we are here today, which, again, is going back to uh, – I forgot. Just, what did we even listen to? Yeah, I, I was going to say, now that we've <laughs> – the, the, the train has left the station. But, no, I, I want to thank Dale Gantz, uh, listener and friend of, of the show, Uh by the way, I, I should mention, Dale and I uh, go to Braves games every year. We're in Atlanta together, and I am in the midst of um, one of the most joyful experiences in my sports-watching career as the Braves are up 3-1 in the World Series, but I'll get to that at another point. Dale sent us uh, uh, an email and wanted to send off his thoughts on why he selected uh, the great radio controversy. So if, if you'll allow me, I'll just read this into uh, well, read it into the record, as, as I would say when I'm trying a case. Uh, there were a couple of reasons that I thought Tesla's The Great Radio Controversy would be a great review candidate. This album was the only one of the pre-grunge, late 80s hard rock slash metal era that never left my playlist from when it came out in 1989, which was eighth grade for me, through the early to mid uh, 1990s as grunge was taking over the radio and MTV. It's hard to express the staying power those songs had for me through road trips, general listens at home, and after-school bike rides on country roads around my house during that time. Also, I think Tesla was very underrated, or a very underrated band that was sometimes unfairly lumped in with some of the 80s hard rock bands that kind of veered more towards the cheesy cock rock. Not that I may, not that I mind the occasional cheesy cock rock, but the album is much more than that. It's a great mixture of 80s hard rock uh, with that feel along with the bluesy sound that sets this band apart uh, and their overall sound apart from other bands that they were sometimes unfairly grouped in with. As I re-listened to the album uh, much closer over the past week, a lot of the guitar work from Frankie Hannon and Tommy Sketch hits me uh, now as much, if not maybe even a little more than it did then. And he goes on to say that his song of the week was kind of a, a difficult choice because there were like five different songs he could have chose from depending on, on the mood. 
Hang tough. Yesterday's gone. Making magic. Flight to nowhere. Party's over. But given his mood, he is going with yesterday's gone. Uh, even though it's a relatively short track, uh, it was an all-around great drive and energy from all the band members from start to finish. So I guess our job here is done because Dale basically laid out the uh, entire framework. But thank you for that. It was a, a thoughtful write-up and, and certainly explains why why we're doing this. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I I listen to this album a lot and I my my opinions kind of shape-shifted a lot during the course of the week for many reasons not least of which uh, I didn't think I knew anything off of this album when he selected it but it turns out I actually knew three of the tracks not well but well enough that I said oh I, I actually remember this and we'll get into that I'm sure as we get into the album um, I, I guess I'll just throw it to you what are your thoughts on this? Because this is uh, certainly not in your wheelhouse and, and certainly a band that I don't think you were familiar with. I mean, I certainly wasn't before this. And maybe that was a um, a hole in our metal history. But nonetheless, we filled it this week. Yeah. Um, it, they were not in my wheelhouse. They were in my firehouse. Um, <laughs> uh, no, honestly, like this kind of whole era of, of, of the kind of glam and hair and hard rock of the, of the 80s, you know, just – based on how old we were, um, it just wasn't really, it didn't really permeate. Um, you know, like Dale mentioned, you know, he was in eighth grade when this album came out, we were seven years old. Um, I remember like, you know, I would pop on MTV every now and again, even as a young kid, we had, we were early adopters of cable in our, in our household. And, uh, Nothing's to, changed. Uh, here we are all these years later, always yeah, on the cutting edge. Yeah. So, uh, I used to, I had a, a, an affinity for music videos from a very young age, but um, I never really, like, I guess Headbangers Ball was on late, so I never really saw that. Um, I saw very few, like, heavy metal uh, music videos, and so, like, that, even bands like Iron Maiden that would have been on MTV just passed me by, and so I find myself through this, this podcast um, kind of getting to listen to stuff i mean we we were we covered Dokken and and uh blue murder and um i think that blue murder album came out the same year as this great radio controversy tesla album so you know i use the word education this is an education for for me and and for you i think in a lot of ways and and while i've definitely heard of tesla and like i said last week i, I you know i'm a long time subscriber to xm serious radio so i've seen their name pop up but I, I just none of these songs like rang a bell to me when i listened to this album at all um so while i was aware of tesla i don't think i really knew any of their songs so this was really like the first time i sat down and and, and listened to them and, and my first time through i didn't really think much of it i'll be honest like it all kind of bled together all kind of sounded the same and in all honesty that's how i felt about uh, Dokken and Blue Murder when I first listened to those albums. But the more I listened to it, I listened to the album five times this week. Uh, most recently this morning, I actually was laying in bed and just popped it on while I was looking through Facebook and whatever and just uh, wanted to kind of digest it one more time. And, and I think that last listen really was the most, uh, th the one that, that I really sunk in with me the most. And I ended up really appreciating the the quality of this album and and especially just how varied um a lot of the songs are it's not like you're it's funny how it all bled together at first because when you really 
get into it, you realize that these songs have a lot of different styles. Um, so, uh, yeah, how about you? What were your thoughts? Yeah, the, the first time I played it through, um, I again, I was surprised to, to hear a couple of songs that I knew. I thought that that was uh, interesting because I, I just thought it was a real void, but it turns out it was just a, uh, you know, mostly a void for me. I also... I don't want to say couldn't distinguish between tracks during that first listen, but nothing popped out uh, except for the couple of songs that I had heard before and just kind of, I don't know, something in the back of my head went, oh yeah, you you know, you know this, or uh, whether it was um, XM Radio or whether it was listening to uh, Eddie Trunk's radio show back in the day, he was a big Tesla fan, so I know that he would play this stuff a lot. So some of this stuff had been kind of seeped into my consciousness, I guess. I didn't... I don't know. It, it just bled together. I, I, that was kind of the phrase I was going to use. So thanks for stealing that. Um, I, I, I thought going into it that they were just strictly a hair metal band. I did. And and that changed. And I think the more that I listened to this, I realized that they have this like sleazy slash southern twist thing going on, which kind of makes them stand out from a lot of their brethren. And when I say southern – there are parts of this album, which which I'll get to in a little bit, that actually remind me of like a Leonard Skinnerd. And then there are parts of this album that remind me of like sleazy stuff that would come out later, like Hardcore Superstar or, or Crazy Licks. And a lot of that was the vocal presentation. But that kind of made some of these songs really pop for me. Whereas on the first listen, when I guess I didn't know what to expect, I just – it was like I could take it or leave it. So it definitely was a grower, as a lot of the albums we listen to are. But again – and to your point, I think it is so important to go back and listen to this stuff because had Dale not suggested this, I would have never listened to this album. I just, I mean, there's so much new stuff that I try to, you know, stay up to date with that I would have never gone back into the archive, so to speak, and listened to this. Um, so great choice. And and and, and I'll say this, and I, I think this is the best way I can kind of put this album. This to me was kind of like an easy listening album whereby like I could see myself in the future listening to this stuff on in the background while I do work and I would enjoy it and kind of hum along to certain tracks that I, you know, that may have popped out. It wasn't like a deep dive that I would be doing into like a dream theater album or a complex Opeth album. It was almost like easy listening, but there was a charm and the simplicity to some of this stuff, which I could see myself listening to other songs in the or, or albums in the back catalog while I was working kind of on the background. And I, um, I, I thought that that was actually a real compliment to them that I could leave it on. It wasn't distracting, but at the same time, the songs were kind of like seeping into my consciousness. Yeah, I think that might have been the problem for me, like the first couple of listens, because I was working and, and so... I may have even kind of forgot that it was playing and that that's not in a, in a bad way. It's just that it was, yeah, like easy listening, not like the genre easy listening, but like easy to listen to. Like, correct, just, correct. Know, I, I found myself just kind of like tapping my foot on, on the floor and continuing along with my work. And maybe it, maybe I found like a nice groove with my work because the music just worked that way. But I was glad that I listened to it this morning without like any, like super distractions so I could kind of just digest it a bit, a bit more. And, um, and, and you really start to realize that, that this album has a lot of layers, like you say, I mean, um, I, I'll mention it when we get to it, but there was a song that, that gave me Jethro Tull vibes. Like I, I was getting, you know, the, the, there's definitely a little bit of a, like you said, a Southern almost country esque, um, yeah. Sound here and there. Um, the, um, 
even though they say never trust a guy with two first names, vocalist Jeff Keith, I think um, <laughs> his vocals are fantastic on this album. And, and I think he comes out swinging with the first track, Hang Tough, which uh, I, I believe they there was a single and they made a video for it. And I could see why. It's like a really good opening track. It's almost kind of like an anthemic t- tune you could see like, like, you know, everybody singing along at an arena show back in 89. But um, gr- I thought this was a really fantastic way to, to kick things off. And I like this song a lot. I, I have to say, it, it starts off with that, like, kind of standard bass intro to kick off the album. And then it leads into this, like, mid-paced kind of anthemic song. Um, and this, again, they hit me with that sleaze factor right away. I was not expecting that. Um, I did not care for this song when I first heard it. I said to myself, "My God, what 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 am I in for this week?" <laughs> it just didn't gra- it just didn't grab me because I think I wasn't expecting it. But then as I went back to it, it got better with each listen, and I can kind of understand why they released it as a single. Um, did you like tough. it better than New Kids on the Block's Hanging Tough? Or? Every time I saw this come up, I kept <laughs> thinking about that, and I said to myself. Obviously not going to come up on the podcast, but it was it was funny because of the name. It was almost a precursor to that. But here we are talking about new kids on the block on the metal exchange. So so there you go. But the, the I name live, I live to please. Yeah, uh, it was it was definitely um, a track that grew on me. I don't. I'm not going to say it was my favorite track on the album. It wasn't. Uh, but I can certainly understand why they opened with it, and then they go right into this other track, Lady Luck, which has again that '80s feel. Uh, with with guitar sounds and and the riff, which really just kind of resonated with that '80s style. So I, I you know, to say that they weren't a hairband would be uh, an, an overstatement. But they, to me, this was kind of of a precursor to like Skid Row, right? Like it was the bridging the gap between that sleazy Skid Row sound and the Dokken or the Blue Murder that had been you know out at the time. Uh, really, really cool riffs during the verses. The chorus is a bit repetitive, and I, I didn't really care for it. I will say that this is where the backup vocals kind of shine for me because they were actually backup vocals on this track, which I thought were really, really, really cool. Um, and, and just to round out the band, obviously you mentioned, uh, you know, lead vocalist Jeff Keith. Uh, Tommy Scotch and uh, Frank Hannon were the guitar players on the album. Uh, Tommy doing backup vocals. Brian Wheat was the bass player, also uh, credited with the backing vocals. And uh, Troy Lucetta rounds out the uh, rounds out the band uh, behind the drum set. Lady Luck. Have you heard of any of these guys before? I legit had never heard of any of them. Not by name, and and perhaps I, I I'll plead ignorance. We we got a message during the week like you don't know Tesla. No, I don't know Tesla. Like surprisingly, <laughs> I can name obscure prog metal bands from Lithuania, but I didn't know Tesla. I it's just, it was it was a hole for me. I appreciated the comment. Don't get me wrong. I, I thought it was interesting, um, and and I responded in kind. But like no, I, I just didn't know these guys, and and. I'm happy that I do because I can kind of cross that off the uh, the checklist, so to speak. Um, any, any thoughts on Lady Luck? Yeah, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I, I like this song too. I think it's another good, like, kind of a, arena rock kind of sound to it. Um, just yeah, good stuff. And I agree that I like what they do with the um, the, the backing vocals. This is another uh, another good tune. And and I, I the more I listen to each song, the more I end up liking you know, a little bit more, a little bit more than I did the last time, which I think is a, a big compliment. Um, but yeah, this is another, another good tune. I liked it a lot. The, the third track, Heaven's Trail, No Way Out was the first track where I heard it. And I said, Oh, oh I, I, I recognize this. It was the first single, uh, from the album. Uh, it actually peaked at number 13 on the charts, which is really high, especially given, uh, the, the time period. Um, this starts off with that 
Bon Jovi acoustic guitar intro. And if you don't think Dead or Alive, I don't know. I don't know what else to compare it to. Like I, I, I kind of saw where this was going. Very, very Southern blues on this one. And again, this this reminded me of Skinner during some of these instrumental sections. Uh, the verses I don't particularly love, but the chorus is so catchy on this song. And it turns out that like uh, every time I listened to it, I, I really understood why they kind of led with this as as their radio track. Yeah. Um... Just like like a solid mid tempo kind of tune. Again, I, I keep bringing up like the old uh, the old foot tapping, but all these songs are just really just they have a great pace to them. They just kind of chug along, and um, they're easy to listen to. Um, this song is no exception. Um, another good one. Um, I, I think so far of the first three, I think Hang Tough is still my favorite of the three going fo- forward. And the reason I say that is because I, I, I haven't chosen a song of the week yet because I just, I liked everything so much. So I'm going to, I'm listening to the album again as we, as we talk and I'm going to come up with something by the end. But um, I, I know that I, I kind of felt like the, the back end of the album was a little stronger for me. So I think that my song of the week will probably come from there, but um. I'm doing this very organically, so we'll see how it goes. I, but, um, I'll say one thing. I just want to say one other thing about Heaven's Trail, and I appreciate that you haven't chosen one because mine changed a couple of times during the week. The, the one thing about this song, the outro is so gimmicky that it almost like killed the to- killed the track for me where he's like you know, ready to kick ass and it just kind of fades out. I, I – was not a fan of that. Like it just, it, it, it definitely took something away and I understand the time period and there's other things I'll get to on this album that I have to give it a demerit. I'd be uh, remiss not to, but at the same time, there was a lot of positives here, but it was not perfect. And, and th- that, that outro. So she was, it's, so it's, Aero, it's very Aeros, like eighties Aerosmith. I got from that. Like, like, but you're not Steven Tyler. So well, that's it. And, and so he, <laughs> he, he can dress like my grandmother and do no wrong. Uh, Tesla <laughs> stay in your lane. I'll say this. The next track, Be a Man, was probably my my track of the week until this morning. I love this tune. Uh, cool guitar intro, almost like an alternative song before alternative was a thing in the 90s, but it gave me this Alice in Chains, like Blind Melon vibe at the beginning, and probably the best riff on the album for my money, and also the best vocals. I, I, I really love this tune. I was surprised it wasn't a single, but by the same token lyrically i don't know that it necessarily holds up because it's exceptionally misogynistic and i i can understand why they may have kind of stayed away from that but that being said great song great song and very nearly my my track of the week yeah definitely the the intro i was definitely getting more of that leonard skinner vibe um Mm -hmm. just that that southern rock kind of style but then once the song gets moving it, it really is like one of those quintessential like late 80s uh you know hair metal type songs and um is there anybody that you would compare jeff keith's vocals to i couldn't put my finger on it but i knew it reminded me of somebody was there anybody that jumped out to you yeah and you're gonna think i'm probably crazy but you know as the more and more i listened to it i i kept getting that like sleaze vibe right and and i say to myself how how could this quote unquote hairband from the late 80s remind me of, you know, sleaze metal with like the Skid Row and the hardcore superstar and the crazy licks? I, I liken him to, uh, Joachim Berg from hardcore superstar. I, not quite as over the top, not quite as, um, not quite as sleazy, but that's what I kept hearing every time he sang. Maybe it's just me, but, uh, I'm, I'm going, uh, Mr. Berg from hardcore superstar in terms of just presentation. 
Yeah, that's a good good choice. Um, I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I initially was hoping this was a Macho Man Randy Savage cover, and uh, that is a very uh, deep cut comment. So <laughs> go, go, Google it if you don't know. <laughs> but but don't go on YouTube because you're going to make the mistake of a lifetime if you do. Uh, Lazy Days, Crazy Nights. This song I did not care for. Um, it was a power ballad, or at least I thought so at first, and it reminded me of kind of docking with a touch of the scorpions in the chorus. A decent mid-paced song, but at one point, um, the singer starts like kind of stuttering, and he goes on borrowed time, and I'm like, I don't know why he's stuttering for the sake of stuttering. It kind of cuts out at the end and then goes back into the song for another couple of seconds. I thought that was completely and wholly unnecessary. This one. A trope this, of the 80s, I think. Yeah, I, this one just uh, did not resonate on me. I think it's probably my least favorite on the album. Okay, yeah. I mean, I kind of like... I kind of You like, like it's uh, my song of the week. I got it. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no it's not. Um, but I do dig kind of that, like, 80s kind of chorus, like, the lazy days, crazy nights. It's so, again, I'm going to use the word quintessential. Um, we need new words. We've been, we've been using uh, magnum opus too much. So we're going to go with quintessential is going to add to the, the dictionary, but um, just, I don't know. It, it's just, it's so like joyfully eighties as, as are a lot of songs on this album. So like, I, I'm, I think I probably liked it more than you. I'm not saying it's my song of the week, but um, it, it's a, it's a fun listen. Well, uh, what I did enjoy was Did It For The Money, which is the next song. Kind of has this slow guitar riff uh, before like the drums kick in with this like I, I just kind of like banging drum sound. Then really speeds up with a great riff. I, I, I think that part of the reason I love this song was just because it was such a nice contrast to the song before it. Um, also, uh, definitely a contender for, for track of the week for me and one of the more memorable tracks on the album. Uh, definitely a fan. Uh, heard a lot of Vinnie Vincent in the guitar solo at the end, which was kind of reminiscent of the times, I guess, you know, that, that mid to late eighties, uh, Vinnie Vincent guitar sound, which was kind of remarkable in a sense for, for the times. I, I like this track a lot and I think that they could have done a, a lot worse, um, uh, than this, especially, you know, as a follow up to lazy days and crazy nights. They should have made a music video for this song because I thought, I thought of all the songs on this album, this was the one that I thought the lyrics were very visual. Like you can really picture what's going on. Um, it, it tells a story. Um, I like this one. This is one of my um, favorite songs on the album as well. Um, I just think it's it's got a nice pace to it. Um, the the riffs are awesome. Um, I think the 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 bridge and the chorus are really strong. The I thought the lyrics were really cool, like about the story that that it's telling about you know, um, doing it for the money. Like I just I just thought overall this is a really strong song. Yeah, we we definitely definitely agree with that. I'll be curious to see if it winds up your your track of the week. Uh, we haven't gotten to mine yet, but we're we're, we're inching closer. It's in contention. I will say it's in that. contention. Okay, well. Dale's track of the week is next, and that's Yesterday is Gone, and I'd be remiss not to note the spelling here, uh, Y-E-S-T-E-R-D-A-Z-E, gone, um, for all the spelling aficionados out there, not going to be, uh, not going to be your track of the week. Yeah, don't go back to Tesla's debut album and look at how everything's spelled on that. You'll have a stroke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, again, a little gimmicky and a little cliche here.
what what I loved about this track is that I the first couple of notes remind me so much of Rush, and they they quickly kind of to get away from that. But it was like they pick up the pace here. It's by far the fastest tune on the album, and I'll I'll, I'll go so far as to say by a country mile. It's it's really really fast. I I know Dale loved it, and I can understand why. I think it provides nice contrast. It's not my favorite track on the album. It almost has like a video game quality to it, not in so much the vocals, but in certain instrumental areas. Uh, so I can see the appeal. Not my favorite, but definitely a good tune. I I got a, a Pretty Maid's Future World vibe from this song. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, which I can see would that. would have come out, I guess, probably two years before this, but um, it just hit me now. Like it didn't. <laughs> it, it didn't hit me until just now. I'm listening to it. And I'm like, this reminds me of Future World by uh, by Pretty Maids. Um, yeah, this is a great choice from Dale. Um, I like this one too. It's got a little bit more of a um, of a trot to it. Uh, uh, you know, uh, pace wise. Um, another another really good tune. Um, a uh, good choice from from Dale. And uh, yeah, now that I'm listening to it, especially that bridge, um, just really kind of gives me that that Pretty Maids vibe. Although I think the vocals are, are rather different, but the, the song itself, the uh, the structure of the song, kind of reminds me of that that late eighties uh, pretty made style. Interesting. I, I, I now that you mention it, I can see it. I, I definitely it didn't jump out to me. I, you know, uh, on the first bunch of listens, but I can structurally, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, we we go to Make and Magic, and, and again, spelling here M A K I N. I'll say this. They get a demerit right off the bat for that just because it's absurd and, and unnecessary. They get a second demerit because of the, um, you know, th- there are songs that are innuendo and then there's this song where there's no innuendo. They're just basically telling you what they're doing. And obviously there's uh <laughs> this is may as well. You've heard of Ode to Joy. This is Ode to Sex, right? This is, this is cheese. I needed a shower after this song. I felt dirty. Uh, was not a fan of this song. Uh, obviously it was in contention for Dale. Um, Maybe he likes the, 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 the cock rock more than we think because this, this, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I can understand the appeal, but it didn't do anything for me. And it just felt like a bunch of ideas that were kind of thrown together. Well, I'm not going to give it a demerit for, uh, the, the apostrophe after Macon as I'm currently drinking a coffee from Duncan. Fair enough. So, fair enough. Um, yeah. So I would be a hypocrite if I did that. Um, yeah, this was not my favorite song. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, you. I think you pretty much said everything that needed to be said. But um, again, it, it's you know quintessential '80s style. Like, it's it's so interesting to me how this album came out in 1989, and this style of music was like almost completely wiped clean. Um, just a, a, two years later in 91 with, with, you know, Nirvana's Nevermind. And, and I mean, Soundgarden had already been releasing albums at this point. I think um, Bad Motor Finger, if it didn't come out in 89, it was shortly after, um, you know, the Chili Peppers were already coming out with albums. So like, it's so interesting to me. I never really stopped to think that like, there were still bands that were waving that flag in, in, in 89 going like into the nineties and getting ready for the nineties, probably hoping that it was going to be a, a decade of, of metal and, and hair and, and glam and, and hairspray. And uh, no, not and then came really. flannel and the, the end of the end of it all. It's, it's, it's funny. Um, you're so right. And we, we talked about this uh, with Andrew Gross back when we did the Blue Murder episode. And I, I should note, you were on his podcast this week, which was pretty cool, um, talking Islanders hockey. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about that 
some other point. You know, it, it's funny. The this 1989 year, more than any other, was such a transition for these bands because money was being thrown at these bands so hard and so fast. And and you know the the videos and four singles on this album and everything else. And within a year, it would basically be dead. It was. It's just to me. I think 89 is probably the most fascinating year of them all because it was just at the peak, and and we were about to go down the other uh, other side of the mountain. It was. Uh, it was something, and I can just imagine what the the label execs must have been thinking as as they're throwing millions at Tesla, and then yeah, hoping to find the next big thing. I always yeah. think of like Firehouse coming out with their first album in 1990, and it's like, oh god, if you guys had come out like five years earlier, God only knows, you might have been like a huge deal. Like, and by the way, that album is amazing. We actually should cover that album. I have stories about that album, and when I first heard it as a kid, because it was probably the first hair metal album I ever heard. Um, right after like a Guns N' Roses or what have you. Um, but that, that out, al- that album was actually really, really good. It don't, just, don't, don't treat me bad as one of my favorite songs ever. Oh uh, yeah. I, 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 uh, we'll do that. I'm going to put it on the list. We'll get to it eventually. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll go back to Tesla for a little bit. Yeah, uh, just one last thing on, yeah. making mag- on making magic. I think the, the guitar work on the song is really strong, especially, um, the solos towards the end. And also the, the, um, the the parts that are during the chorus, um, just I feel like this is a very um, very guitar strong song. So if if the if the lyrical content's not doing it for you, you can always listen to it for the the really strong guitar work. That is definitely a highlight here. Um, if, and if I had to pick out like the bright spot on there, that that that's the bright spot on this song. However, the way it is is actually the second tune I knew off this album, and that's the next track. This is my track of the week. This track, it, it starts out almost Beatles-esque with that late Let It Be sound. And then it goes into these like solo sections, which are very, very much Jimmy Page, Led Zeppelin-ish. This song is so catchy with the acoustic verses and then the electric choruses. Um, it is just good old-fashioned rock and roll. I, I'd have to think this was a live favorite and, and certainly... Um, the label saw it that way as, as it was the fourth and final single of the track, although it kind of charted less than the others. I love this song. To me, track of the week, um, it, 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 I, it wasn't my track of the week at first. I kind of mentioned that, but when I listened to this back again this morning, this track just steals the show for me, and it's the best track on the album, hands down. Yeah, um, the the opening guitar riff of all things reminded me of the song "Army Reserve" by Pearl Jam, um, huh. which would come out seventeen years later. But um, not not the rest of the song at all. But just that that 
that riff at the beginning. But yeah, this is just a, a really kind of more chill kind of song, but um, definitely a, a really good choice for a radio single. Um, this actually, I think, was released as a single in 1990. So, I mean, we're talking about an album that really bridged um, bridged the decades. Um, even though it had come out in February of 89, I mean, the singles, the, the last two singles came out in 1990. So, um, yeah, great choice. Um, just a, a really good kind of classic late 80s style. Like, I don't want to call it like a power ballad because it's kind of a little bit meatier than that, I guess. But um it's just a really good, like, mid-tempo, like, I feel like this would be a, a really excellent song to hear live. Good choice. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Uh, definitely uh, will stay in rotation for me. The 10th track is Fight to Nowhere, and this one, um, another mid-paced rocker. The, the biggest compliment I can give is that it felt a bit short to me, and it's not. It's actually, like, one of, uh, you know, it's, it's nearly five minutes, Fight to Nowhere. I... Like I don't, I, I, it's hard for me to describe this song because it's kind of buried in, towards the end of the disc. Not my favorite track, but I think the vocals shine again. The middle section has this crazy licks vibe, which obviously the band wouldn't come out for decades later. A great guitar solo, and it was a track that grew on me. And I guess again, a testament to the fact that it felt shorter. So it was obviously I was enjoying this more and more with each listen. Um, did you take flight or no? <laughs> I set my controls and I took flight. Um, <laughs> I, this was another contender for song of the week for me. Um, this was the one I think that really stuck out to me it, when I first heard the album. I just thought that um, they picked up the pace, especially after the way it is. I think it makes it all the more, uh, it, it, it shines all the more just because you, it went from a slower song to a, a song with a little bit more of a, a, a quicker pace. Um I, I love the um, the chorus. It's just almost like reminds me of, of those newer, um, you know, the newer, uh, what do you call it, cock rock bands of, of nowadays. Like, like your Eclipse or something like that? Yeah, or? yeah. Or like more of that melodic rock. It, this I feel like this song felt more modern than some of the other songs on the album. It didn't feel as much like an 80s song. I may be completely off, but... Um, I like this one a lot, and this along with um, uh, was it? What was the song I mentioned earlier? Is my uh, possibility be a man or um, uh, did it for the money? Did it for the money? Yes, I'm sorry. So those those right now those are my those are two of my finalists for song of the week. I'm still <laughs> I'm still deciding, um, but yeah, I, I like this one. This was good. The um... The biggest hit on the album was next, and it's kind of interesting that it's kind of buried towards the end because I would have thought it would be like right smack dab in the middle as before you go to a side change. And the song is Love Song, and it's not only a song that obviously I knew. It was um, it's probably their most well-known on the album. Really cool ballad with a good guitar intro. This song was clearly made for radio, and I'd be shocked if shocked if like – at the time, people didn't hear this song and just think this is my wedding song, right? Like this, I mean, it's just so cliche and obvious. And obvi- you know, I think it's. I'm sure that the producer and a lot of the other hands had, had a hand in this, but for what it is, it's really good and and kind of holds up well considering. This is the song that um, reminded me of Jethro Tull at the beginning. Um, Interesting with the acoustic guitar. And yeah, stuff. a, a little and a little bit of, of Led Zeppelin, but more so. Jethro Tull, just the way that um, it had kind of that acoustic guitar with the the keys kind of in the background as well. Um, 
it takes off and, and isn't nearly as much of a Jethro Tull song, but the beginning kind of reminded me of it. The more I listen to it too, I do get a bit of a, a Zeppelin vibe, maybe even a little bit of, of yes. Um, not the Yankees uh, cable network, but uh, the band um, as Justin almost spits out his water. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this is uh, I, this is another one of my favorite songs and um it kind of took me back to my early days of being a metal fan where I would gravitate towards the, the power ballad slash love song, uh, no pun intended, but um, <laughs> yeah, I like, I like this one a lot. And yeah, it's just, um, it was a, a, a smart choice for to be a radio single. Um, just, uh, yeah, just, uh, your quintessential eighties power ballad. And, and in a sense, although it's not the same type of song, it almost reminds me of, Alaska by Shadow Gallery insofar sure. as it's like near the end of the album not the last track but near the end and it's just a ballad that kind of stands out amongst the rest of the stuff that you know while different it doesn't sound like love song it's definitely an outlier as was Alaska on on um, Carved in Stone which we talked about uh, way way back in the archives at this point um, good good stuff for sure the the penultimate track is Paradise this track is really interesting to me it kind of starts with a key and, and not every track on this album has this, but it starts off with this keyboard sound that almost reminds me of November rain. And then midway through the song really begins to pick up. This was a very underrated track for me. And, and another one that grew on me probably more so than any other, because during that first listen, I, I it didn't really do anything for me. But then as I heard it more and more, I said, wow, this, this, this track exceptionally underrated almost progressive in a way. And, and I can certainly understand why it wasn't selected as a radio hit because it's, it's a little out there, but excellent track. Do you, I'll tell you what the beginning of the song reminds me of. It reminds me of a sabotage song. The, the piano it reminded me very much of John Oliva piano like yeah and with, the, with the guitar coming in um same year as gutter ballet being released um probably no connection whatsoever but um it did remind me of that but then as soon as uh Jeff comes in with his vocals it, it it's takes it, a turn it, yeah and it has its own flavor and style to it and um starts out kind of slow and ballady. This is another one of my favorite tracks. And I think that's why I kind of gravitated more towards the end of the album. Cause I just think the last four tracks were, were really strong. So um, I like this one a lot. It's, it's still kind of ballady, not quite as much as love song. It's kind of surprising that they would put this one right after. Um, but another like good, it's, it, it's, 
definitely feels emotional and the way like the guitar is laid over the vocals is really really well done um very good song good stuff and we we end with parties over which is kind of a cool closing track not a perfect song by any means but a very memorable chorus uh and certainly fitting lyrics so as much as they get the merits for their spelling they they certainly selected a good you know final track on the album uh a good song a, a good closing track um and kind of just a good way to put a bow on the album. I don't, I don't think it's anything extraordinary, but I, I certainly like the chorus. And, and um, again, the vocals here are very reminiscent of Hardcore Superstar for me. So that was definitely a, a – a, they get a check mark for that. Yeah, I think this was a good choice for the, the final track just to kind of wrap things up. And and this, you know, for, for a late 80s, like uh, hair metal, glam metal, heavy metal, whatever you want to call it, album, I thought it was pretty meaty. It comes in just under an hour Um you know, a lot, a lot of those albums, for whatever reason back then, were, were maybe just because they were on vinyl, were like notoriously short or like clocking in around 40 minutes. And um, and another thing worth mentioning, too, is I thought this had this album was very, again, I don't know if I have a remastered or a remixed or whatever, but um, I thought that the, the production was very strong on this album. I think it sounds really crisp. I think all the instruments really shine through. Um, it's just a very good, like a very strong sounding album audibly. Um, yeah. Geffen obviously pumped some money into this. Um, and, and, and I guess it was a, it paid off, right? Because it peaked at number 18. It finished on the year end chart at 73, which is solid. It went, uh, it had over 2 million copies sold. Um, Rolling Stone had it as their number 11, uh, hair metal album of all time so it, it it resonates with people and i can understand why dale had it you know kind of playing on repeat for that five-year period until the mid-90s so i i, I certainly get it i want to hear what your rating is i'm very very curious i wanted to ask you three days ago but i'm sure it would have changed so before we get there pressure's on what, what is the song of the week here um you know what i'm gonna go with uh you know it's at this point now that i've kind of listened to the beginning of each track over again while we were talking it it, it can't it's between flight to nowhere and paradise i think i'm slightly edging towards paradise just because of that that reminiscence of sabotage for me um so I'm, I'm gonna go with that um but good uh, choice yeah there were a lot of um a lot of good choices, and uh, I wanted to mention. I thought this was funny that I saw this um, on the album's Wikipedia page. That um, I had no idea that uh, Chuck Klosterman um, made a list of his favorite hair metals, uh, hair metal albums of all time. And if you're not familiar with Chuck Klosterman, he um, he's a uh, kind of like a, a pop culture author who writes books about um, kind of like his experience uh, growing up in the eighties and nineties. It's almost like what you'd expect if Seth MacFarlane from family guy wrote a book. It's just kind of like, you know, he, I think he had an entire chapter of one of his books. Uh, I think it was, the book was sex, drugs and cocoa puffs. He had an entire chapter just talking about like how Billy Joel shaped <laughs> his life. So, I mean, um, so it was interesting that he had this this list, and so I had to go look it up. And, and so it has, he has this album at number 18. Um, so I was just curious kind of what he had towards the top. And so uh, he had um, Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses, number one. Shout Out the Devil by Motley Crue, number two. Vinnie Vincent Invasion's Invasion album at number three. Um, 
So I was just curious, like, what kind of company uh, this album was in. Um, Very high you know, esteem. You know, it's, yeah, you, you're you talking know, about it's some all, heavy hitters also, there. Yeah, uh, Faster Pussycat, Def Leppard, Poison, uh, Cinderella, Skid Row, Wasp, Warrant, uh, Rat. I mean, these are all, uh, I mean, Kiss is on here, David Lee Roth, um, Britney Fox, Ozzy. So, um, interesting. I always thought that Chuck Klosser was kind of a blowhard, but I was a lot younger when I, I read his book. So maybe I just wasn't uh, resonating, but it just, it, it just felt like somebody from Williamsburg, Brooklyn was writing a book about <laughs> himself, um, which it very well may have been, I don't know. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. I'm sure Knops will get a kick out of hearing Chuck Klosser in mention on this podcast. <laughs> well, between and Ryan, that- and Ryan, if Ryan Hansen's listening, he'll get a kick out of it too, because I'm sure he knows Chuck Klosser. <laughs> It's 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 funny between that and New Kids in the Block, we are in uncharted waters here, and uh, I'm going to try to bring us back. I'll just say we're one drowning line. in uncharted waters. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's funny the the the, the name of the album is kind of um, about the controversy of who actually invented radio, whether it was Nikola Tesla or uh, Italian uh, Guglielmo Marconi, who took the credit and kind of still gets credit for inventing the the medium. I will not make you choose between these two, but I will make you give this a rating on one to 10. So what is this album? I appreciate that. I, I've always constantly embroiled in a battle in my mind between who invented the radio. All <laughs> Oscillating can, back and forth, I'm one sure. Thing I can, one thing I will agree is that video did, in fact, kill the radio star. <laughs> but um, I, I, I give this a, um, a 7.5. I thought it was a, above average. I think that um, if I had the... the uh, the nostalgia factor, I'm sure it would be higher, um, but uh, I, I mean, it certainly was ranked lower for me at the beginning of the week and, and kind of slowly grew. But um, yeah, I think it's just, I think that's uh, where I'm at with that one. How about you? I, I was oscillating between the 6.75 and a 7 as just a solid, solid release. Some of the gimmicks are going to make this the 6.75 just because I, you know, I, I mentioned it's just not necessary, but there are some really good tracks on here and I enjoyed it. And again, it's something that I can see myself listening to while working in the future. Uh, and I kind of want to check out some of their uh, other material. Uh, a year after this, they would release um, a live acoustic album, which has gotten a tremendous praise uh, over the years. And I just thought that that would be something worth mentioning. It's called Five Man Acoustical Jam. And a lot of people consider that one of the better acoustic albums and certainly one of the better live albums ever. So I I want to hear more of this stuff. Um, I want to correct the spelling because my type A personality is is can't deal <laughs> with it. But you know, we are we are where we're at. Um, it's a 6.75 probably trending upwards and i'm just really happy that we went back to to listen to it yeah same same here um i was wondering if um elon musk has to pay them uh, royalties uh to use the tesla for the name of his car but i guess being that it's somebody's last name probably uh is in the public domain so yeah and if they would then they would have been by far the most successful uh hairband of the time just because uh, that company is doing well, but that's a story for another day. Uh, let's get to the news. I know you have a, cu- a couple of things you wanted to mention. Yeah, well, I, man, this week was just a lot going on. So um, a few things popped up. Um, Dream Theater's James Labrie uh, 
coming off of the news that he turned down Iron Maiden to be their vocalist, guitar player, and keyboard player. Um, <laughs> I may have I may have exaggerated that story slightly, but um, he is going to release a new solo album in May called Beautiful Shade of Grey. Um, I'm hoping that we hear uh, Ray Al- Alder uh, jump on there and do some guest vocals. But uh, he, um, I guess it's been eight years since his previous uh, solo album, Permanent Resonance, came out, which I thought was quite good. Um, and I'm not the biggest James Labrie fan. I think that, um, they still make him sound like his old self in the studio. Um, and which is why I enjoyed dream theater's latest album quite a bit, but, um, I feel as though, um, he still sounds great in the studio. And so for that reason, I look forward to, uh, to hearing this. And it's interesting that, um, uh, Paul Logue from Eden's Curse uh, is is uh, helping uh, helping out with this um, this release. Um, be, I guess they got um, hooked up, you know, back ten eleven years ago when um, James did uh, guest vocals for Eden's Curse. So, kind of an interesting um, uh, connection there. And uh, if you know the name Marco Sfoli, he'll be um, playing lead guitar. So, um, just an interesting uh, interesting album i look forward to it i like hearing james labrie do something that's not dream theater related and and see you know what else he can do and and if you ever have a chance to listen to his band winter rose from before uh dream theater it's wild it's like hearing james labrie sing tesla songs yeah it's (laughs) it's funny his solo stuff is actually really good and, and wildly underrated some of those albums are just fantastic and i i think part of the reason i like it is he's not trying to hit the notes on learning to live on his solo stuff it's kind of more in his wheelhouse and the tracks are just really written for him um by some phenomenal songwriters so that that should be a good one it's been quite a quite a while since his last release yeah, uh, 100%. Um, I'd mentioned earlier that Dragon Force um, released a new music video. Uh, even though their album, their most recent album came out in uh, 2019, uh, they, they put together a new music video, which if you haven't seen it, um, it they went completely glam. Um, and it's for their Strangers song. Um, the video is a hoot. Uh, I definitely recommend checking it out. And... Um, uh, just worth mentioning, um, Dragon Force is announcing uh, or, or has announced that they'll be doing a headlining uh, tour across North America. And I have to say, I think I'm even more excited about the support. Uh, Battle Beast and Seven Spires opening. It uh, looks like I'm going to be doing quite a bit of traveling this spring because uh, add that to the list of these really good um, just kind of uh, – bills that they're putting together for these um some of these european bands that are coming on tour um and then you know adding some really strong names to the lineup instead of going out there by themselves i mean battle beast is is a blast live and i haven't seen seven spires live yet um so this would probably be my first time and in the last year i've become such a bigger fan of the band between us reviewing their um their second release and then their third release coming out this year. Those two albums are, are two of my favorite albums I've listened to in the last couple of years. So um, I'm excited to see them. And, and yeah, like I said, um, love battle beast uh, love. Can't wait to hear their album. It's just going to miss our uh, albums of the year discussion. Cause I don't believe it's coming out till January, but um, I love that they always seem to be releasing an album around the same time as beast in black, which is um, 
if you know, Anton from Beast in Black was formerly one of the founders of Battle Beast. So I, I know a lot of people say, oh, Battle Beast hasn't been as good since he left. But to me, it's kind of like the, the Halloween Gamma Ray master plan thing. Like instead, now we have two awesome bands to look forward to. And, and, uh, I love listening. I mean, Giannis and Nora are two of my favorite vocalists in metal right now. So, um, to me, it's like more, you know, the more the merrier. And you'll get to see both live, uh, within a couple of weeks of each other, which is really, um, really awesome. I, I, I had mentioned the Beast in Black opening for Nightwish. Um, I am so excited for that show. I, I cannot wait. And there's a lot of other tours and obviously can't, can't encourage people enough to go support these bands because, uh, you hear of the starving artist. That's what a lot of these bands were doing for, for a year and a half. So I think that's why you're seeing so many tours just because they need to get back on the road and start selling some merch and selling tickets and, and just getting back out in the public domain. Yeah. And, and I still have not seen a metal concert since before the pandemic. So, um, I am so excited to get back out there at this point. It's looking like unleash the archers in December is going to be my first time getting back out there. And again, speaking of fantastic openers to have, um, to have uh seven kingdoms and um, what is uh, the name of the band? I'm forgetting. Uh, Aether realm. Yeah. yeah. That's um, uh, it's a good package. It's a good package. Yeah. It was my, my first metal show back and I'm uh I would encourage you to see it. They're actually coming back here in December as well, so I'm going to try to hit that amongst um, amongst everything else. A lot, lots, lots going on. Um, but oh, I, I, I got more. Oh, you got there's more. There's more. Yeah. Bring it on. Yeah, I got a couple more things. Um, I, I, I wanted to talk to you about this because I, I find it very interesting that um, Mike Portnoy in an interview mentioned that he um, he would be willing to play drums with Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson. It would be a dream come true for him. What are your thoughts on seeing on a show like that? I mean, I never got to see Rush. It's going to be forever a, a regret of mine. Um, I just always, I think I took for granted um, the health of Neil Pert um, and just assumed that, oh yeah, they'll they'll play again. Everybody always plays again. And but I, how would I? How was I to know? Um, do you think that Rush should be kind of like? holy grail like we don't reach we don't touch this again or is this something that kind of maybe younger fans or or people like me who are too stupid to go see rush live when they have the chance uh giving them another opportunity what, what are your thoughts on that so uh, it's funny you mention it i think you'll appreciate the answer i don't think they should touch this stuff um just because not that neil pert was on every album but he was basically on every album except the first uh and, and it's just you know they're they're a three-piece act they were together for you know 50 years for all intents and purposes uh i don't think you should touch this stuff that being said and here's the comma if portnoy would have played drums not only would he do an amicable amicable job but he's probably one of the few people that could quote unquote replace not that you can replace the man but play uh the neil pert stuff uh, well, so even though I don't think they should do it, if they do it, I will get tickets right away for that. I have to see it. So like, yeah. I don't think they should do it, but I'll be there. So will I. it's a kind of the same, there's been discussions too, of like, what if Dave Grohl played drums with the remaining members of Led Zeppelin? Like, but I know the guys in Led Zeppelin have always said that, like, we're never going to do a show without John Bonham. It's just not going to be a thing. So, um, it's interesting. It's always fun to, to kind of talk what ifs. Um, but yeah, I, I would be definitely going to that show just to 
it wouldn't be the same without Neil, but at least I could say I saw uh, Getty and, and Alex. And, and like you said, um, if anybody could, could, could hang with that material, uh, Portnoy would be your guy. Um, one last thing, um, just thought it'd be worth mentioning. Um, Ashes of Aries are, uh, announced that they're releasing a third album. Um, I've always been a big fan of Matt Barlow's vocals, even though I've never really was able to get into iced earth. And nowadays it's all the more harder to get into iced earth, but, um, (laughs) but Matt Barlow, um, I think is such a, a unique and awesome vocalist. I got to see him sing live with ashes of Aries, but also he came out and, uh, sang with, uh, pyramids at Prague power because he did, um, I think two albums, with them. Um, but he has such a cool, unique voice. And, uh, I never actually heard ashes of Aries second album, but I thought their first album was, was quite good. So, um, this should be good. There's uh they're going to have guest vocals from, uh, Tim, uh, Tim Owens, who I think was also a singer for iced earth at a point in time. Um, there's a keyboard intro composed by, uh, Jonah Weingarten, who I had mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, Bill Hudson has a solo on here. So some, some fun, uh, recognizable names. Um, but, uh, yeah, that should be interesting. So a lot of new stuff, a lot of news, um, a lot of stuff going on and we're spending the week listening to Tesla. So (laughs) welcome back to the metal exchange. You know, it's, it's funny. I, uh, I, I had a, an album picked out for next week. Um, I picked that early in the week. I was almost swayed by theater of tragedy, which I had mentioned earlier. Uh, but due to the fact that I've been watching the Braves, till midnight every single night and then getting up and going to the gym before work. I am, I am beat and I want to actually switch it up because the album I had selected was something that uh, we were going to have to spend some time with. So I'm going to push it to my next selection later in the month uh, because I think schedule wise, it will work a little bit better. Uh, The band I want to talk about is a band we have not, I don't think we've ever discussed anything about, you know, either in our personal lives, certainly not on the podcast, uh, but it's an album that I have been kind of thinking about just because of these Braves broadcasts. Because I knew this day would come. We're going to talk about Nickelback. Aren't yeah. we? <laughs> we are definitely not. We are definitely uh, there. There's a there's a no Nickelback policy on this podcast. Oh. We every single time the Astros would get into trouble in these games, you would hear the opening note from an album. And I thought they would go into the song, but they never really did. You would just hear this bell go off. And I said to myself, what if we did some uh, some ACDC and we went back and we did Back in Black, which obviously kicks off with Hell's Bells, which, again, I hear the bells every game. I want to listen to the rest of the album because it's been, it's been some time and it's obviously a classic uh, going all the way back to 1980. And I'm going to push the album that I had originally selected uh, to the middle of the month. So back in black it is. Uh, we're gonna go back and do uh, the first, the first ACDC album uh, after after the passing of Brian Johnson. Very interesting. I I'm sorry, Bon not- Scott. I'm following the death of Bon Scott. My apologies. Oh, the first yeah. album with Brian Johnson. I there you go. Flipped that. Um, yeah, I'm not that familiar with the album outside of the big singles. You know, I know Hell's Bells, Back in Black, Shook Me All Night Long, but um, I don't really know the rest of the album. In fact. I don't really know as many ACDC songs as I should. So this is again, continuing on my education. Um, and mind you, I wasn't alive when this album came out, <laughs> nor were you. Uh, Dale was in first grade or kindergarten, I guess, based on how old he was when, uh, maybe pre-K. Um, but, uh, but so, banging along just the same. So yeah, 
should be should be interesting. Uh, I'm I'm happy November we each get to choose a pair of albums, and we have our December album picked out already. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun. Um, going back, hint we've mentioned this band on this podcast, so that that'll be fun. But uh, let's uh, let's do it. Let's do some ACDC next week. Thanks everyone, uh, everyone for reaching out and for uh, contacting us and for all the kind words. We really appreciate it. Uh, certainly, uh, the more you connect with us. The more reviews you give us, uh, it certainly helps others find the show. So thank you for that. And uh, I hope you enjoyed Tesla. And we'll come back uh, We'll come back to Back in Black next week. Uh, enjoy the yeah, week, buddy. Um, yeah, I, want, I just wanted to say thanks to Dale. Uh, Dale is a great guy and a fr- and somebody we consider a friend. And uh, we we brought him into the Vortex fold the last time there was Prague Power. And then Prague Power never happened again. So, Dale, you are invited in June, hopefully, um, to our next uh, Vortex gathering. And uh, and I also wanted to say um, thank you to uh, Andrew Gross for having me on his podcast, uh, I- Island Ice, which is New York Newsday's uh, Islanders podcast. Um, give it a listen. You can find it on any of your podcast uh, things. Just look up Island Ice. Um, it's just like a five or six minute little guest spot, but it was nice of him to ask me to do that. And uh, and I did confirm with him that we will have him back on again, and we're going to throw an album out at him that he's never listened to before, which I think would be kind of a fun nice. uh, dichotomy to what we did with him, where we were listening to an album we'd never heard. Um, and he's all very game for that. So uh, I look forward to that. He 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 was the resident Blue Murder expert where we were um, novices to say the least. So I say it's time we turn the tables. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I just wanted to throw those out there. And uh, again, you know, thanks everyone for listening. Leave a review. Uh, give us a five star review if you think we deserve it. If you think we deserve a one star review, feel free to keep that to yourself. <laughs> um, and uh, and you know, find us on all the uh, all the social medias and. Uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty much it. Justin, I hope you feel better. And uh, Yeah, I'm going to take a nap. Uh, we'll do this again next week, and I will talk to you soon. Enjoy the week, but I'll, I'll talk right. to you. Take Bye. care.